Are, are there protagonists in this movie? We will find out soon. I, I don't even know. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. We discuss the films you'll never discuss in the film today's course, unless it's January, and we're doing our anti-trash marathon, which we're doing in a French accent this week, or this month, this uh-huh. marathon. Uh-huh. That's why I have this outrageous accent, speaking yeah. of John Cleese. Long bread, cigarettes, stinky cheese, etc. Um, yes, this makes, oh, uh, well, anyway, uh, I was going to do a thing, but I'm not going to do it now. I changed my mind on the fly. There you go. Um, we're doing Frenchy stuff. It's the rules of the game. It's Renoir. It's Bazan. It's more of the stuff that we talked about last week, but earlier. And so, um, we're talking seminal stuff. Yeah, here. we went pre-war. Yeah, pre-war. So this is 38, 39, nine, eight, nine. Yeah, it was, that's, well, that's the kind of the weird thing about this movie. We'll probably talk about it more, but like its production gets interrupted by the, the brewings of the war at least once, I think. Because um, I, I was trying to read up on the timeline on this, and we were, just before we recorded, obviously, we were talking about the restoration. Uh, the history of this movie is wacky. It is. Uh, to say the least. But yeah, I think 39 is when it, its official like release date and yeah. stamp is. Okay, but they so, start on, on 38. So uh, anyway, I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. Uh, I'm still Dalton. And in case you're tuning into the Good Trash Honor cast for the very first time, we want to let you know this is not a review show it's a analysis show and that means we're going to spoil this movie from 1939 spoiler alert all of these people die in world war ii um no no that's not how the film ends i just mean what happens after the movie oh yeah yeah they, they, they all just die in the resistance or they are all collab- or they go to america oh, they're, they're all collaborators right dude like yeah 90 percent except for marceau movie. who is in the uh, train breakers um the the movie where they blow up the trains yeah marceau's a real one yeah yeah yeah, yeah he's definitely um definitely in that movie yeah, he, um the train breakers the train i don't know what movie you're talking oh, why are the, you looking at me like i know the name of I another know. french movie except there, the two we've talked there's about on a the show. fascinating like 45 movie in which they are blowing up trains Trains. That rules. Uh, and that, I mean, that's the whole movie. Um, it's just uh, blowing up train breakers film. Is that the name of it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't remember either. But um, anyway, there is a movie in which um, the whole thing is about um, vandalizing and blowing up trains and breaking up the uh, supply lines of the Nazis. People uh, of France. Yeah, it's great stuff. Uh, anyway. We're not talking about that movie. We're talking about the rules of the game. And we are going to spoil the movie. But we'll avoid that a little bit uh, as we begin, insofar as we care about spoiling a movie from 1939. And that means uh, we'll do analysis. Begin. Well, we won't do that right away. We'll start with a synopsis. Then we'll do thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We'll play a little uh, mental exercise game uh, called Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve the gentlest of spoilers. And then we'll get down to business and all spoiler bets are off. And you'll find out who ends up with whom in this romantic screw-all comedy that is kind of sad. Um, so, um, without any further ado, Arthur, do you have a synopsis for us, buddy? Yeah, I lifted this from IMDb because I wasn't prepared, but here we are. <gasps> yes. A bourgeois life in France at the onset of World War II as the rich and their poor servants meet up at a French chateau. There you have it. Very good, very good. Um, yeah, I'll take that. That does occur, yes. Uh, so, uh, without any... For, um, I've seen this movie before. Arthur's seen this movie. I had not seen it. No, and I had seen a scene from it. Well, same, you, yeah. You've seen yeah. Kill, In the same class, I'm pretty seen sure. seen shoot yes. rabbits? Yeah, Arthur, Arthur and I had seen the, the uh, servants' dinner and the shooting of the rabbits, and that was it. Okay, well... Uh, We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, later. But Those are two scenes we will probably be talking a lot about. They come up. Um, but hey, what, what's your reaction just to watching the movie, Dalton? <sighs> well, this is a weird one. Uh, so I, I split this into two parts, mostly because I got sleepy, because uh, I, I started it pretty late. But I would say an hour into this film, maybe, you know, thereabouts, I, I, I found myself thinking, what's this movie's deal? Because I, I, I could tell it was funny. And I liked it. I thought the jokes were landing, you know, a different culture, you know, almost 100 years now removed. The jokes are landing. I'm like, OK, well, this is cool. I like that. 
this movie's sad. Why is this movie so sad? And like it, it, nothing really ostensibly tragic or, and by any stretch of the imagination, even that stressful had occurred on screen yet. But I can just tell there's something kind of morose about the movie. Uh, so um, before starting the second half of it, you know, took a break, went to sleep. And uh, before starting the second half, did a tiny bit of research just to kind of you know, help me get my bearings and kind of get my brain around this one a little bit. Uh, and I started reading about how Renoir was definitely reacting to his certainty that war was imminent uh, while he was working on this film. Uh, and that really did kind of contextualize the entire thing for me in, in, in a pretty severe and stark way. So, so that really kind of clarified the film for me in a way that when um, we do approach the end of the film, and uh, uh, we will remain spoiler light at this section in the show, um, you know, we'll wait till we get to the next section. Uh, when the film reached its conclusion, I, I finally went, oh, damn. Well, I think the movie's genius. Crap. I, I guess I'm going to have to watch this again at some point. Uh, and, and that really is kind of where I'm at with this one. I, you know, last week I talked about 400 Blows being a film that kind of underwhelmed me given its reputation. Uh, I, th- I think with the rules of the game, I, I think the reputation speaks for itself. I mean, this is the only film uh, to have never come off the sight and sound best films of all time list since 1952. Every single time they've done the list, it's been on there. And I get it. Uh, it's a film that doesn't much like, uh, you know, a Lynch movie, for instance, not that this is nearly that surreal, obviously, but it doesn't make sense until it makes perfect sense. And it just kind of does crystallize in a way that makes me go, Oh, holy shit. This movie's about so much else. It's, it's about everything but the plot of the film, which I think is really interesting. It is, uh, I don't know. It's the kind of comedy I would like to make. It's the kind of comedy that I would like to see. I, I think it is, it's every, does everything that comedy should do in a way that was really surprising to me. And I think I'll just kind of leave it at that until we can kind of crack it open. Because I think talking about the character dynamics, the character relationships is really going to be where we get some work done when we do analysis later on the show. Uh, I guess I will just say to Dustin's point, we were talking about like, who is the the lead of this film uh, right before we started recording. And I do think the the two characters the film closes on uh, are the protagonists of the film. It's just not clear that they are because uh, one of them doesn't enter the movie until about 20 minutes in, uh, and the other is always playing second fiddle to somebody else in basically every scene he's in. He's always playing low status. Um, and it's the character Jean Renoir plays, uh, which I didn't realize while watching the film. Uh, but uh, kind of a weird call, a little, little uh, Shyamalanian there. But look, I get it. There was a war on. You wanted to make sure people were paying attention, so you put your face in the movie. I get it. Uh, and once it became clear that uh, the, the character Renoir plays is... If there is a protagonist, it's him. Uh, Octave uh, is his name. Um, Octave, I think, maybe is the the, the correct pronunciation. Uh, yeah, once I realized that that's the guy that we really need to be considering, I was just like, oh, man, this movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Uh, I think there is a lot of political nuance in the film that just is going to go over our heads, or at least my head, um, because there's so much of it does feel specific to Europe in the 30s. Uh, in, in a way that I'm just, you know, I'm not, I'm not super well versed. What, what's the? There's a fancy word for the period between the two wars. I can't remember what it's called. Other interwar. Than interwar. Yeah, there's like a fancier Latin one. I was gonna try to, you know, fucking put some college on it, but yeah, the interwar period uh, is a, you know, I'm only kind of aware of the political, larger political machinations going on. The kind of culture around Europe is a little lost on me. Other than that, I know Germany was really tight until it wasn't really tight. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by like tiny moments in this film that definitely seem like they're supposed to be references to the culture that we're supposed to understand, right? Like there, there are tiny like 
geographical and political like shout outs that are so specific like you wouldn't bother to get those in the translations that specifically if they weren't important and they do go over my head but like those little those little glints uh on the the margins of the movie are like what really make me want to go back and and learn more about the film revisit it uh and try to get my brain all the way around it because i think this is something pretty spectacular outstanding outstanding what do you think about the movie there arthur um, I think I'm a lot colder on it than Dalton is, uh, or yeah, I, I am colder on it than Dalton <laughs> is. I should say, um, I I I like a lot of it, uh, but it never feels so completely cohesive to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think that the I think the 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 parts are greater than the sum of the whole. Uh, I yeah I I, I, I can think, see why you'd say that. And yeah. I think you're you're you're, you're kind of mentioning like there are things that really stood out to you in those, those moments, and I think that's what it is for me. Mm. But it just never the rest of it kind of falters, I think, under that weight. Um, I I think it's a, a story of two films. I think technically it, it's stunner. I, I think the you know yeah. cinematography, the camera movement, obviously highly influential. Yeah, when we talked about um, Stagecoach a couple of years ago. You know, we we hyped on its its stunt work with its big old nineteen thirties cameras, and the the stuff going on here is a lot more low key than that. But yes, just a ton of free cam stuff that's bananas to see in the thirties. Yeah, I mean the camera is constantly moving uh, and, and just making great use of, of the entire sets. Um, and it just looks gorgeous. It's well lit. It's well staged. Uh, all that production design is going on uh, is, is beautiful. And, and so I think, you know, from that side of things, it's it's an A plus film. You know, I, I think Renoir's direction is top notch. I think the the cinematography is top notch. Uh, I can see why it, it became so influential. You know, we talk about it a lot when we talk about long takes or depth of field, and, and then for good reason uh, because how much of the story and how many of the themes can be underlined. Uh, by what's happening in the background of, of many of these scenes and in the margins and in the sh- uh, corners. And I think that's really impressive. Um, and so I really admire it for, for those reasons. Um, I just I couldn't connect because I, I don't understand the big deal with Christine. I, I, I don't find her likable. I don't find many of the characters. Oh, they're all terrible. And, and not, yeah. I, I mean, I don't mind that, you know, Uncut Jim is a movie I love and, uh, you know, Sandler's, a jerk in that movie. Yeah, yeah, but there's still something captivating about watching them. Sure, and I just don't have that here. I mean, there, are, you know, Marceau's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like the stuff with him and, and Liz, is it Lizette. Is that her name? Yeah, Lizette, yeah, yeah. Marceau, uh, Shoemaker, and Lizette. Like, I think that those three characters like have the tightest. I think that whole subplot dynamic. is the most interesting thing going on for sure. me personally. I agree with that. And I think you know the the kind of chemistry that I think that. Uh, uh, they said has with everybody that she's on screen with. I think she's great. Dynamite. Yeah. yeah I, I think she's probably a standout here. Uh, everybody else, you know, it kind of felt, uh, I saw uh, Renoir's names in the credits opening up and I was kind of assuming it would be just like a bit part. And for him to be such a magnanimous part of this film felt a little self-serving and, and kind of like a vanity project in a lot of ways. Sure. And that kind of took me out. Uh, and so I, apparently his producer wanted him to get, to cut that out entirely. He wanted to cut him, he, he, get yourself out of this yeah. movie entirely. Yeah. And I, I mean, I can see why. And I, you know, I think some of it works better than others, but I, I just couldn't connect with the narrative of this film. Uh, and so it kind of held me at arm's length uh, most of the runtime. Um, but I tell you what, there, there are moments in the film, the, uh, the skeleton dance uh, sequence during the dinner party uh, is 
incredible. Not not just the musical performance, but the way the camera is moving and navigating. Dude, yeah. that whole like talent show, for lack of a better word, that yeah. goes on in the middle of this rich people party. That whole sequence, that was where I got back home because I, I kind of checked yeah. out for a little bit, and that really won me back over yeah. in a huge way. Yeah, I think that whole that whole sequence, but just particularly, I, and I think that is the thing about this. It is the way because the the trick of an ensemble film is you know navigating your cast visually and narratively and and I think it does for the most part narratively manage that I, I think we get plenty of time with everybody and these stories intertwine in a natural way for what's going on totally uh, but visually as well the, the way the camera moves through a room following different people that, that run through the corridor where everybody's chasing everybody after the dance all of those very intricate sequences uh, that are a lot of long take shots uh, are, are really cool to watch and, and really admirable. Um, and so I, I really do like that part of it, but just the story was not there. And I, I just could not stay connected with this one. So there are things a lot. Oh, and I do love the ending and we'll talk about it later, but I, I love where this ends. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great ending and like how it comes back around to that, but pretty cold on this one. I think for the most part, Fair enough, fair enough. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, I find it an entertaining watch, but it's not. Uh, it's a movie that I watched one time when I bought it, mm-hmm. and I haven't seen it since. And I saw it for this, and I don't know when I'll see it again. I mean, really, it's not one of those things where I'm like, you know what I'm in the mood for? Rules the game. Oh, look, as, as high as I am on this movie, I'm not going to get back. I'm, I'm much more likely to read a ton about it than I am to revisit yeah. it. Because it's... It is a, I mean, it's hard to get onto its rhythms at first, yeah. not just as a foreign film, but as, you know, its age does show in places. It, it, but it is kind of a fun farce. I yeah, mean, there, yeah. there is there is some entertainment to be had there. Um, I do find the Renoir character a little obnoxious in the same way that I find Woody Allen obnoxious. And I definitely see Renoir's fingerprints on Woody Allen's work where he casts himself and he's sort of this sexually repressed and frustrated, you know, per- pursuing an affair that never quite works out. I'm, I'm looking at crimes and misdemeanors really strongly uh, as uh, the strongest lift of that. But you see bits of this in Manhattan and, and bits of this in uh, Annie Hall as well in the Woody Allen oeuvre. Do you know else you see bits of in those films? Uh, in fact, he's a freaking creep. Well, and that, that's the other part is that it was picked up by a person that I find pretty repugnant. And sure. so, yeah, and, and although I still have some affection for those films, you know, the art and the artist and all that separation is difficult for me there. And uh, so Renoir... Um, Weirdly, got himself painted with Woody Allen's brush uh, in, 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 in your re- brain in the rewatch. Yeah. yeah, okay. And so there, so I, I tr- that troubled me some. Um, I, I to say that that and casual racism of the bourgeoisie. I don't think it's casual. The, well, okay, okay. I think the film is intentional, but I agree, it's gross. Yeah, it's real gross. And so there's some anti-Semitism there. Um, and then there's a little African American, right now, an African American, just African, you know, uh, probably. North yeah. African doll, or West Indian, yeah, it's West, gross, it's, yeah. And yeah. so there's some bits there that I'm like, and then you know it's about the bourgeoisie. Of course, I mean it doesn't love the bourgeoisie, so you know I, I think it's owning these people. But you're absolutely right. Like it, it definitely feels like we're the first film to try to talk about how rich people are racist, and we don't really actually know how to do it yet. Except for it's not because like 1929 is like Lodge Door, right? Uh, so uh, that's uh, okay, yeah. or 30, I guess. You know, I mean. Within years, we've already had Louis Bunuel do this in an avant-garde kind of way. That's true. So, But, I mean, this is a commercial accessible version of the mainstreaming of that. And so it is fun, and I, and I, and I agree that the racism and uh, the sort of 
let them eat cake kind of obliviousness uh, of the movie is uh, is, is tended to be a send up. But that being said, uh, with Renoir there, and there are some bits that are slow, and honestly, that rabbit scene. Um, okay, so there's that. Uh, but that being said, I. It is entertaining. I mean, and use the depth of field for those entertaining bits. There is a moment in which uh, a guy is uh, cuckolded and discovered, and uh, they run around through the depth of field uh, inside, I guess, the shoe-making section of the... Uh, he's he's shining the boots or whatever of the, the guests. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so he runs through a back room into a front room into a... It's some Benny Hill-ass... Like, yeah, it's so funny. But using depth of field rather yeah. than just the left and right screen totally. of it to do that, I was like, this is very cool for the 30s because Orson Welles won't do this for another 10 years in the United States. So, groovy. Uh, moving the camera, groovy. Uh, that kind of stuff, all fun, and the the, the jokes do land. They are funny, and uh, so I am lukewarm. If you're cold and you're warm, I am I am I'm, I'm parboil. I don't know what I am. Water terms are escaping me at this point, but I'm somewhere there in the middle of all this. This is a soup that you would put tepid. in the microwave. Yeah, I'm tepid. I'm very tepid on this. It's a soup that's not you know you don't need to throw it out, but you definitely need to put it in the microwave if you're going to make it edible. So I, that's where I am on the movie. Or a, if it's borscht, you need to put it back in the fridge. Some, yeah, I don't. Okay. I don't. Right? Is that how it works? G- gazpacho. That's what I was thinking. I, I, I don't know words yeah. of foods and soups and liquids and their temperatures. Uh, this is a stupid bit. Yeah, this, we need to move on. We need to move on. <laughs> as well as dry. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's do the thought exercise. You're going to teach a class. You're going to use rules of the game. Uh, what are the what what are the class? What are the class that you're teaching? Uh, and uh, what are the other films? What is the other film, since I'm going to do all my verbs wrong, that you're going to use with it? Arthur, go. Yeah, so uh, the, the thing I kind of kept coming back to and we've already hit on is, is that idea of the ensemble film. And so I think that's what I want to talk about is is moving away from like a star led film uh, mm. discussion into something about an ensemble cast and how that operates and why how that works and how to I think do it well. Um, and so I, I've picked films here to kind of uh, highlight that and TV shows, uh, but also um, have that kind of class element to them as well. Uh, and so uh, I, I was trying to stay away from like an upstairs downstairs thing because it never really feels like that type of movie. There's not that anim. I mean, there's yeah. some like snappy snippiness, you know, between like rolling of eyes and things, but there's never that kind of tension like you'd see in Roma or or something like that. Yeah, it's a much more it's a relationship that's portrayed much more symbiotic. Yeah, yep, yeah. yep, yep. And so I thought, you know, I thought about like Parasite or Roma, but I, I really didn't feel like getting into that. So I, I did want to stick with more ensemble pieces uh, and, and some comedies. So I, I think I'm going to start out, though, with uh, uh, Arrested Development, uh, which I think, you know, TV shows are kind of by nature usually an ensemble piece anyway. But I think the way that these characters come off, I mean, none of these are really likable. Even Michael doesn't have a lot going for him to like as a person. You just kind of enjoy watching him because he's and so he just charming. Worse. Yeah. yeah as, as the show progresses. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, and so I think that idea of just watching the events unfold for a very unlikable family pairs well with what's happening in uh, the rules of the game. And so I think I'd start out with the rest of development um, and, and kind of just discuss how things have come a long way, but they haven't really changed for, for certain, you know, classes and people and things like that and the culture hasn't shifted too much uh for there i want to talk about knives out and and i think that pairs well and and i think back to back with that would be robert altman's gosford park uh 
which, uh, you know, Knives Out was kind of sold as, look at all these celebrities. Um, but Gosford Park, I mean, just talk about a murderer's row of British... T- I mean, it was like a proto-Harry Potter film. It is, it is a little bit of a proto-Knives Out, too. I like It's a yeah. film I haven't seen and was a child when it came out, but even as being a child, I remember the hype around the cast in that movie, just like how it was just everybody you've ever thought was like important in a movie was in the same film. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I think that's really interesting. And, and so I would want to go there next. Uh, following that, uh, this one's a little on the margins because it's not quite an ensemble. It is a bit, um, but it's the favorite. Uh, oh, yeah. Because yeah. I really want to look at that relationship between uh, the lady and the maiden. I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic. And I think that dynamic is really interesting in, you know, the relationship between Lizette and, and Christine, I think, is one of the more interesting ones totally. in the film and, and how they work together and how they kind of that symbiose that you yeah. were talking about. I well, think that's really on display in in those moments with them. Yeah, what I like about the the, the favorite as a pick of yours is while you're right it's not, you know, quite technically an ensemble like it's it feels like a three-hander more than maybe any film I can think of offhand. Like there's just the balancing act going on in that movie. Yeah, it does focus primarily on the Emma Stone character as like a protagonist, but it really does feel like a the weight is evenly distributed across those three actors, and yeah. they're just absolutely killing it. Yeah, and I think along with that, just the it also highlights just the zaniness of of the upper class. You know, we've got this weird talent show taking place at the party in Rules of the Game, and then the favorite we've got duck racing, uh, and then like food fights and weird stuff happening all the time, and uh, really absurd. But I, th- I think it's a fun uh, mirror there. Uh, next, I'm going to go with one that uh, timeline wise. Uh, narratively matches up and that's uh sydney lumet's murder on the orient express well played. Um, which has another great cast and kind of similar events at the onset you know we talked about or the rules of the game opens with the the, the flight mm-hmm. uh across the atlantic or yeah yeah atlantic, right mm-hmm. yeah. uh and then uh, mentions uh Lindbergh, uh, and a lot of those same things are alluded to or talked about in murder on the orient express and kind of a similar background there so it feels like these are two stories that kind of happen at the same time probably uh, in, in in many ways, uh, and then finally, I, I think I want to end with uh, Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel, uh, which again, kind of yep. uh, the workers uh, and and trying to do their best to serve the the rich people who come through their nice uh, hotel. Yeah, this I, I'm really Arthur fascinated by because you know this film was pitched to me when I first learned about it as kind of an upstairs downstairs thing, but I think what you've hit on with your picks and this film is. Is the way where you know I, I don't know is Downton Abbey kind of is it more of a snippy a bantery like we all hate you know, each other I, thing Yeah, I, I thought about it, but I haven't seen it. I haven't jumped on that bus either. Yeah, okay. Well, let's go ahead and just use Parasite then because it's it's the film where you know those class dynamics are most like mined for conflict, right? And I think these these picks that you have like show the complicated ways those relationships can manifest. The where uh, yeah, the, I, symbiosis I guess is the best word to think of, but that. Yeah, those are really interesting picks, man. I think there's there's great exploration to be done there. Thank you. Very good, very good. So my syllabus, I'm titling Sleepovers with the Bourgeoisie. Um, nice. Which is are a, you going to skip me? That's fine. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> it no. is fine. No, Just go ahead. it's fine because you're going to oh. talk about Exterminating Angel, right? I am going to talk about Exterminating cool. Angel. Cool, and I didn't put that on my syllabus, and I'm glad that, yeah, that, that pairs so well with this. Okay, okay. I, I, I did run over you, though. I sure did. Do you want to just go ahead? I'll go last. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, yeah, you can go last. You can go last. Wow. Yeah, I never go last. making it weird. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't know what's happening here. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, was, I was so fired up because I was finalizing it as Arthur was talking. Yeah, carry the momentum forward. Like one does. So uh, I want to begin with the Grand Hotel, or just Grand Hotel. Uh, 
which is a uh, John Barrymore, Wallace Berry, Joan Crawford, Greta Garbo uh, classic movie upon which Grand Budapest Hotel is sort of somewhat based. Does which, it have some of the? Well, and this is what I got excited when Arthur picked that. Does it have that sort of same thing where it's doing this this odd thing where I, I don't want to say the help, but I can't think of a better word. Yeah, but the it, quote help is like proud to like kick ass at their job. Is that yeah, like part of it? Yeah, a little bit of it, and and they but they are sending these cats up as well. It's okay. got a little bit of the political intrigue and uh, political obliviousness uh, that we also see in the rules of the game, which is another, you know, you're going to a big estate house for a sleepover there. And so just when you get these people together in a room that are of, of wealth and of uh, a certain amount of prestige, uh, just how ridiculous they are and the way in which they one up one another. And I think Grand Hotel is a good way to begin and then move in from there to the rules of the game, uh, which is more of the same, right? And uh, both of these are... Another movie we've talked about as part of our, an anti-trash marathon. Yeah, well, rules of the game? No, um... Exterminating Angel. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I, a step ahead of you. I haven't got there yet. I know. Man. You yeah. said rules of the game, and my brain uh, misfired synapses. And so then we move on into Louis Boonwell's uh, The Exterminating Angel, which I think I probably would use some clips from his movie, The Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie, as well, because, I mean, it's obviously on the nose as a topic in the title there uh, for the film. But that's a movie in which a sleepover just goes terribly, terribly wrong in all of his surrealistic delight there as Boonwell's working in Mexico. And so uh, a great little film and uh, a really, really troubling little movie. Again, the Woody Allen connection is there because it's one of his favorite movies along with Veridania. Uh, but uh, anyway. How could that movie be one of his favorite movies and that man not have, you know, done, done an S word on himself? You know uh, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that movie's about how guys like him are trash. Right. Uh, anyway. Anyway, yeah, I know. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, interesting film there. Um, also, uh, then uh, Renee's, uh, Ellen Renee's movie that I mentioned last week, uh, last year at Marion Bad, mm, yeah. uh, which is a movie about a hotel and the sort of uh, the cheating that goes on and, and the sort of elliptical narrative. But it's a much more experimental take on, again, rich people and all their rich uh, elegiacness. And uh, it does sort of send those things up in a much more thoughtful and, I think, per- perhaps profound way. Uh, then again, than the rules of the game does, but the rules of the game is trying to do so in the in the level of the farce, which is what again Grand Hotel does, and then finally culminating in the Grand Budapest Hotel, as Arthur has already mentioned, Wes Anderson's film uh, that is uh, inspired by many uh, in many ways uh, by the Grand Hotel. Uh, film of with uh, Barrymore and Joan Crawford, and again Carbo is great as kind of a weird Christine kind of clone with her international exoticism uh, mm-hmm. being played up there a little bit. Um, so it's a low key. I think the best Wes Anderson movie. I, th- I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that it's not like an uncommon opinion, but damn, is that movie good? It's a good movie. It's like the, it's the only one where like his, his whole deal like really works with the material mm-hmm. on, a, on a level that's pretty bananas. Right. I mean, I do like Moonrise Kingdom a lot still, but that's a, I need to revisit that one. You know what really troubles me about that one? Uh, Ten years later is how much it sexualizes children. Well, <laughs> it's how much the movie is about like prepubescent love, like romance. It's yeah. just kind of icky. Yeah, knowing what I know about you know, like you can't unlearn things about the industry, right? So, yeah, but a good movie. I liked it when I saw it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, anyway, uh, that would be uh, my syllabus, uh, which is uh, Sleepover with the Bourgeoisie. I love that. Um, So, what is your syllabus there, Dalton? I'm glad you did that, because I I was thinking about something related to Exterminating Angel and, like, this this sort of idea of the the rich party that never ends. Uh, First of all, don't – if you're going to a party, and unless it's, like, stated on the, you know, the memo that it's a key party – 
don't stay the night. Go home. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless like everybody knows everybody's pumping, get out of there. You don't stay over at a party. Just, ugh. Anyway, uh, so we're going to be doing a, a class on films and controversy, uh, and really it's going to be less of a film studies course and more a, a you know a media literacy class where we're, we're going to kind of look at films that have, for whatever reason, uh, a controversial. Uh, debut and and look at how the conversations around films when they first come out conversations as they evolve and, and you know whether there's a feedback loop on a, on a filmmaker's career following controversy right we're gonna talk about a couple of different films uh, we're gonna start with rules of the game and talk about uh the the reaction that it had when it premiered which was apparently a bunch of uh uh, French right-wing luminaries uh, who booed it, mm-hmm. booed it. They hated it, uh, which that's funny as shit to me. That's so funny. Ugh. Uh, but I, I think really getting into Renoir's certainty of war, right? Like, and you, you know, obviously there's some myth-making here, of course. It's easy to go back, you know, after they refined your movie 20 years later, and, you know, literally we don't know how many hundreds of millions of people killed like that's a fun thing about world war ii we just don't know how many people died mm-hmm. because there's no way to do the math on something like that it's just an impossible figure to calculate so it's easy to to be like a hoity-toity smarty pants after the fact and go oh, i knew it was war was certain but watching this movie man it feels like it like it's just such a bummer and i can mm-hmm. see why it didn't play with people because it's just like can't you fools see what's happening we're all devolving into chaos like before our before each other's very eyes we're becoming a, a a reflection of something vile um so i think i think it's interesting and again looking at its destruction uh, during the war it, it's being refound after the war looking on it being reappraised i think all of that's super super interesting and then we're going to move on uh, to a little trifecta that we're just going to call uh the uh, the the christian controversy uh trinity of films uh there's a lot i could have picked from but i went with the life of brian uh the Last Temptation of Christ and Dogma. I thought those would be the funnest to do. So we'll just do two comedies sandwiched around one serious one. Uh, I also thought about getting The Exorcist in there, but I feel like that one's controversies are more just around how scary. Like, you know, the religious controversy mm-hmm. around that isn't really that big of a deal. It's, you know, it's it's big hubbub was how spooky it was. Right. So I think doing the I th- mean, it's heroes are priests. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. So it went over pretty okay. But I say let's do the three where they're really having fun with the Christ narrative and just saying... Uh, look, we like this story too, and we don't care how you like it told. We're going to tell it the way we want to tell it. By the way, I'm teaching Last Temptation in my novels class this semester. That rules, dude. Noice. That is tight. Uh, how similar is that as far as book to film adaptations uh, go? Close. Close ish. Yeah. I mean, I think Scorsese makes it a little sexier, but. Cool. I mean, you, you know, know what I say to that? Cool. I, well, you cast Barbara Hershey, you probably should. Right on, Marty Pills. Oh, pervert. Uh,. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I just, I love the way that Dogma just, like, kickflips over the New Testament. I love the way that Life of Brian is just, always look on the bright side of life is maybe one of the best endings to a movie, all time, period. Mm-hmm. That's it, dude. That movie rules, and the the idea of playing with, you know, religion as a byproduct of an accident of your birth, uh, and, and playing with that within the confines of a founding of a religion, like, you know, origin story. I don't know, man. That movie just like, I've only seen it one time. Uh, I saw it like late in my teens, like late high school, early college, and it just sits there living in my brain rent free, just making me think about crap all the time. I'm mad at it. It's the best Monty Python thing that they ever did. 
yeah, man. I didn't even like that movie that much when I saw it the first time, but I just, I always think about the stupid movie and I can't stop thinking about it. I think it's better than Holy Grail by a lot. Uh, even though Holy Grail is like a lot funnier and a much more crowd pleasing and it's, you know, it's got that wacky fourth wall stuff. Life of Brian is like about somebody's fucking childhood in a way that like really clicks with me, man. And, and I think looking at why these works that are clearly from people with religious backgrounds, again, like especially Dogma and Last Temptation of Christ, like uh, Scorsese uh, and Kevin Smith have been very open about talking about their, their religious upbringing and like these films as ways for them to unpack their spirituality. And again, Scorsese like has made a ton of very capital C Catholic movies. Uh, so I, I just think the lack of being willing audiences and not even audience, special interest groups lack of being willing to go on on faith of all things interestingly enough like it's i don't know man it's it's very funny to me it, it is this sort of this anti-intellectual reaction to media that i i'm always just kind of deeply fascinated by that i think those three films really kind of are going to be a crux of this class in a big way uh speaking of uh leaks and the media uh, we're going to be looking at the hunt and the interview uh kind of going immediately to 21st century uh politics and looking at the ways the world got a lot lot smaller at after the uh towards the the twilight of the 20th century uh yeah i think the interview obviously we did on this show a million years ago now but uh, what a weird story man mm -hmm. what a just a fascinating film and, and again the hunt like two films who's just like their whole production and distribution schedule is is honked up like neither of those movies is very good i don't think we'll watch either of those films probably we might watch a scene or two we'll definitely watch the um uh your fireworks scene like that's an all-timer that stuff's that's hilarious but you know i also don't really love franco that much uh and, and you know the hunt is kind of a dud betty gilpin rules in it i uh, like sturgill simpson as florida man uh but it's kind of a, a fart of a movie but it's definitely in the vein of the rules of the game and a pretty in a way that may i don't know that probably the, the screenwriters were very proud of themselves for knowing about the rules of the game and and working it into the hunt. Uh, I, I think we'll w deal with Birth of a Nation, but I don't really want to, so we'll deal with it via Black Klansman uh, and use that film to kind of talk about film as a whole and, and really kind of how film informs culture and vice versa and how these feedback loops are really important. Uh, and we'll end on, I, I think, an uplifting note. We'll do Silence of the Lambs in Philadelphia. Uh, we'll talk... <laughs> well, here's why. Uh, so uplifting. Well, yeah, but it's, a, you know, I want to reckon with Demi reckoning with people being bummed out by his movie. And I, I think that that's that the story of him being really heartbroken, that basically like the silence of the lambs, like really upset people. And like were, were they found it offensive. He was like, Oh man, shit. I goofed. Uh, because like, just as a filmmaker, who's like trademark, his calling card is empathy to turn around and go, all right, well now I'm making the, the dang movie uh, about, uh, I'm making the gay rights movie. That's what's happening. Uh, I'm making the AIDS movie, and you're just going to, I'm going to do it. Uh, and uh, again, it's a film that uh, I've never seen, but whose reputation apparently is is kind of inaccurate. Um, I, there's a really great episode of, it's like the third week in a row of reference blank check, I feel like, but they their coverage of it I thought was really interesting, just kind of talking about like all of the Oscar movies and big fat scare quotes uh, 
that's not this movie. Like this movie kind of like has that reputation because of all the movies that followed it. All of the, the courtroom dramas that are issues movies, like the, the ways in which uh, this film's reputation uh, from the people who like it uh, precede, I think is really interesting. So again, I just talk about Demi, talk about those two films, talk about conversations around those two films, probably talk about uh, Tom Hanks accidentally outing his teacher, not accident, outing his teacher during his Oscar speech, how they made a movie about that. That's just a weird story. You don't know about this? Oh, God, what's it called? In and Out, I think is Inside. What the fuck was uh, the name of the movie? It's got Kevin Klein in it. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think it's In and Out. Is it just In and Out? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Arthur, when Tom Hanks accepts his Oscar for Philadelphia, yep, that's it, In and Out. Uh, when he, he accepts his Oscar for Philadelphia, he thanks his, like, high school drama teacher or something. Uh, and, you know, being the, the first gay man that he knew and, like, had a friendship with, uh, his teacher was not out. Uh, <laughs> and that Oops. was a pretty intense thing for his life. And then they made a movie about that? What on? What is Hollywood even, huh? Oh boy! Uh, and then we'll probably just end on rules of the game again, and how? Yeah, life informs art, and vice versa. <laughs> Directed yeah. by the immortal Frank Oz, by yeah. the way. When I again, I think that's especially feed me, Seymour. Ending with the interview, the hunt, uh, Silence of Lambs, Philadelphia, In and Out. Like it just really gets into the weeds with how weird coverage of media can yeah. in, go on to influence media. So that's the class. I'm glad uh, we, we got a lot of bases covered, I feel like, on You know, um, you mentioned about. when I was talking about Exterminating Angel using that for the film, but I don't think that's actually the Boonwell film you'd want to use. Yeah. Um, you'd want to use Unchina Andalou, which started a riot. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure. You get the eyeball. Well, well, I mean, not just because of eyeball stuff, because the way it takes down, you know, the bourgeoisie. But the eyeball's mean, gross. The eyeball is gross. Is it, even eye thing, is that, is, that, that, is that the problem? Yeah, I mean, I saw it on a MySpace, my cousin's MySpace page when I was like 14, and it just lives in my brain now. Yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, it does do that. And it is the opening scene of the movie. Um, there is more movie than that, um, and quite a lot more. But it is um, a movie which started a riot. Uh, Boonwell went to the screening with his pockets full of rocks, because Gangster. he was worried about having to defend himself. Uh, so, yeah, it's a thing. And then um, Salvador Dali was Salvador Dali. But You know what I say? Always premiere your weapon armed. Yes. I'm kidding. Don't do that. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I think now it's time to get down to business. That's right, dear listener. That business is, as always, analysis. Um, there are many things to analyze in this film. Um, I guess we could... We could start with the rabbits. I don't know where you want to start, but I kind of want to start with the bunnies, and they killed a bunch of bunnies for this movie. Oh, Yeah, so... That's, it's the it's 30s. They used to kill animals for movies all the time, and it yeah. sucks. Uh, I think having Schumacher kill the cat uh, is classist. That's just one of my reads. I don't think that groundskeeper actually kills that cat. I think that groundskeeper, who's literally talking about, I have to figure out how to deal with these rabbits without putting up fencing... Would keep a cat. Just keep the... What are you doing? Yeah. Keep the apex rodent predator, you dum-dum. And no groundskeepers that stupid. No. It's just not. Groundskeepers are like maintenance men. They just know everything. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think Renoir is a classist on accident. Uh, I think he's trying to take down the bourgeoisie with all this rabbit stuff. But I think he makes the help way too complicit. Right. Uh, I think the help being anti-Semitic makes a lot of sense. And that's mm -hmm. who we get most of the anti-Semitism from. Schumacher, Jewish, like, is that they imply. This is the thing that I missed. There, there's a whole talk about who is and isn't Jewish during like a that dinner scene when mm -hmm. they're all in like their quarters, and it's right before the rabbit hunt. Which is, I know it seems like I'm going off track, but I think these are these are parallel tracks. I feel like 
Did you catch any of that dust on either of your watches? I didn't know who was who and what was what, but I know that the cook does not like uh, Jews. Um, he makes a point to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, but that's that's more what I caught than anything. But I don't know what Gustav Schumacher is. Well, they talk about somebody in the main cast being a, a transplant, uh, a refugee of some kind. Well, I mean, and that's probably. Well, I mean, Christine is also that's Austrian. Christine. It's Christine. Okay, yeah, she's Austrian. Go. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. That's right. And Octave can speak her language. Well, they talk. That's they, Christine yeah, talks to literally everybody. I guess if we spoke French, we'd be able to hear her speaking with an accent or something. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's what that deal is. But yeah, th- so we we're just dealing with what's going on in Europe, right? This like rampant racism uh, that uh, honestly they caught from us mm-hmm. <laughs> because phrenology and uh, eugenics started uh, in the New World. Um, more or less, anyway. It's, let's not get into that all the way. But yeah, so the, these scenes come right before the rabbit hunt in a way that I think is pretty, both like the, the gross doll uh, and then the, the servant's quarters dinner mm-hmm. uh, and then the hunt. Like that's the sequence of events, right? Right. Well, the gross doll's pretty early in the movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's, before, it's, it's before they leave for the, uh, for the country home. Oh, you're right. It's like in the exposition. Yeah. Oh, damn. There's another doll later that's... That feels Anglo, like it's pro. But, I thought it was probably Slavic or I Jewish. Don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that doll's deal is. There's gross dolls. Yes. Uh, so I don't know. What do you think the ra- the rabbits are clearly about something? In I mean, a it, grand it, way. It, There's a sort of craven praying is what it seems like. It, Just it, wanton it, death. It's a wanton death and uh, the sort of disregard there. And, and I think you know, Renoir really does kind of. I mean, the way the camera lingers on uh, the death throes of the rabbits, I mean, this is pretty graphic, sure. you know, what happens there. But, I mean, the, as their twitching corpses are finally, you know, giving up the ghost, um, I, I think uh, he does want us to see just how um, how cold they are. In being interviewed about it, I guess he talked about how he thought hunting in general was just kind of barbaric. But, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about rich people hunting, which means you make poor people scare out game and right. then you just throw bullets at everything that comes out of the bush. Uh, which, yeah, is disgusting mm-hmm. and, and not hunting uh, by any it's skeet shooting with targets that... I mean, I, I pheasant hunted with, with blockers before, too, you know, I mean, and that's that's a thing. Yeah, there's there's a difference between that and what's going what's on. What's going on, for sure. In Ab- this sort of estate hunting, right, mm-hmm. that was also super common in, in the, the UK. For, right. I think, is it still? Their fox hunting know. thing was, a you know, their whole whole deal well they talked about riding horses sure know, they talk about english hunting at some point yeah, yeah. um but yeah he, he apparently found hunting gross which is weird that he was willing to kill someone he didn't kill a cat yeah the cat dies off screen right uh but it's weird that he's willing to kill so many uh pheasants and, and rabbits for this movie but i mean i guess his justification was that it was for something it was to show how awful it is you know it's like the andre tarkovsky you know horse trick kind of thing you know which is awful in um andre rublev he rolls a horse over on his back and i think the horse dies as a result of it no. yeah um and uh, it is sort of trying to get at uh, an awful thing by using an awful thing and uh it, 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 the thing is utterly unacceptable in our in our contemporary moment obviously at least it's not like milo notice where it was just for the stunt oh man yeah but, yeah, it's still unacceptable, even if you think you have a good reason for doing it. Right, absolutely. And so, I mean, you know... You Road to na- hell, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. You want to name drop that. But, obviously, there is a uh, a good intention there. And so, to, to name the the good intention itself, although, again, the, I, I think that does send this film on the road to hell, as you say. Well, and I think we can now conjoin this train of thought to another, right? Because this whole, like, what is permissible... Uh, 
dialogue is or dialect is what kind of permeates the film, right? Like right. What kind of hunting is okay? That you know these, these distinctions that I was just making are really what the film is well, doing. Marceau right? is snaring rabbits, which is a pretty awful way for a rabbit to die. Um, you know, but you know, if you're hunting for sustenance, a pretty effective way. Effective way to do yeah. that, yeah, for sure. And so you know, he's getting in trouble and uh, being harassed about that, and then again, this wanton killing that's going on, and so it does put a class flavor on this. Like, okay, there are maybe some things that are troublesome and problematic you know here and there but class makes things different well and again the rules of the game obviously this double entendre of a title because we've got this big hunting set piece in the middle of the film but then the entirety of the film is about you know the bedroom farce right and who's going to hook up with who and who's in love with who it's it's very she's the man uh mm-hmm. starring amanda Bynes, right you remember that poster it's a great poster it's just all the names of the the characters and the, this person likes this person who likes this person. It's a fucking great poster. Yeah. But yeah, again, there's this rule, the, this idea that rich people can hunt and pursue whatever they want as long as decorum is followed, which right. is, you know, why, uh, you know, uh, craven monsters uh, in the Democratic Party uh, find uh, the fascists we have right now so distasteful. It's not that their policies are unacceptable. It's that they don't play the rules of the game. Right. They don't do the thing you're supposed to do before you commit wanton death yes well i mean again drone strikes under the obama administration were the worst um worse than the bush administration just saying a deporter in chief baby yeah that man's a war criminal i hope he enjoys his netflix deal oh gosh so you know you have those things in place but again decorum is being served and then you have others you know he doesn't have a game license marceau doesn't it's not his property he's technically trespassing he's technically poaching but he's you know doing sustenance kind of stuff and so that the sympathy i think lies with marceau well marceau later on says you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get me a, a, a wild game license. So when the cops stop me, I can go, what's in my bag? Boom, 10 rabbits, baby. That's what it is. And here's my permit, which is, you know, how every Oklahoman feels when they enter a, a car with marijuana <laughs> now, uh, when they get that medical card, right? right? Like There is this idea of like, the only way that the the working class can get by is by like finding a way to like, to skate the margins. A loophole. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, is to find a way to like be legal on paper uh, so that they can go about their business un- undeterred. And so, and again, the rules of the game are we don't tell, we don't talk about it, you know. Yeah, you can uh, cheat on each you other. You can cheat just... on each other just as long as you know, keep it on the DL. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure everybody knows, you know, this person meant a lot to me and that's why I flew across the Atlantic, but it's because of a deep um, friendship, you know, a yeah. wink, wink. And uh, oh, I can't run away with you. Your husband and I just became bros. I have to tell them first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so there, there's all this way in which decorum has to be kept. And of course, you know, Schumacher, um, when he catches his wife cheating, is, you know, livid about that, as is Robert when he finally discovers Andre and Christine together, even though they've known the whole time, uh, despite the fact that Robert's also with Guinevere. Um, so I, I am keeping the names together. So I'm exactly. proud of you. The film yeah. does a, there's only like six people you have to remember, truly. Yeah. It, it does become clear pretty quickly that everybody else is like a caricature. Fodder. Right. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're there for a joke. And, and that, that, you know, the rule is, you know, that Christine's got to be okay with his cheating, but he doesn't have to be okay with her cheating, and then he can deck... You Round and round we go, and uh, the way in which again class is what changes this, you know. And so because um, Gustav or uh, Schumacher, I think Gustav's his first name, but I'm not sure if that's right. Actually, Schumacher becomes upset and uh, you know chases Marceau around with a gun, which is not and fires upon him later on. You know, because he does that, um, he is you know 
he's sacked. He loses his job, and so does Marceau, because, you know, we got to keep up the core. Yeah, well, if Schumacher's wife is going to stay on, I can't, sorry, buddy, I can't keep you. Like, it's, it's improper. Right. And he's like, and you know what, man? Thanks for trying to get me on the right path. And friggin' eyebrows just has no chill about it. It's just like, don't try to make me feel bad about this. I've got enough on my plate already. Yeah. He wasn't trying to make you feel bad. He was trying to make you feel good. Yeah. Dumb dumb. Ugh, I really hate Robert in a way that's super good. Right. I, it's, it's a, that character is so effective in his sort of, I'm not going to compare him to a modern day contemporary figure, even though I really want to. So I'm just not, but there, there is something very, I can't be bothered with literally anybody else's opinion about anything. Right. I, I, I know. I love his eyebrows. <laughs> he does have excellent eyebrows. Just manicured into uh, absolute villainy. Uh, it's great. You caught that, right? Yeah. They're just straight up angry eyebrows. <laughs> they really, really, truly are. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. No, no. Marceau's I mean, firing. Yeah, yeah. Marceau gets gets sacked, he gets fired, and he loses his job. And then whenever uh, they're at the end, you know, that final ending where uh, Octave uh, finally is going to run away with Christine and then opts not to and sends Andre to run away with Christine instead, I guess. Well, and this is where the farce of it really does come home for me, right? When the farce stops being cute because it is just you know cloak you know wearing some just classic shakespeare crap where like so and so was wearing such and such as cape and then this dude was wearing this dude's gloves or whatever just mistaken identity ha 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 nope somebody gets shot in the center of mass <laughs> because right. cheating gets people killed right and somebody even jokes early on one of the rich folks like you know i always hear about uh so uh, as polish dude killed like and obviously i love the your european, on, european on racism right. yeah it's like a polish dude and an italian dude right right of course uh, and they're lower class because they're road workers. Well, the French think everybody's lower class. Well, that's, that's kind of their whole deal. Right. Uh, but yeah, they are road workers, right? Like, So we talk about, well, this is how other people do it. We never do murder about sex. It's no big deal. No, people get shot, man. And like that, I don't know, the film just like keeps building to this like inevitable sadness. And mm-hmm. then the bottom drops out of it at its most farcical moment. Well, the, and, and what ends up happening is Robert makes an excuse, uh, excuses it out because it looks bad on them that a murder happened, you know. And so it, it's not about justice. It's not. It's, it's about, again, decorum, which mm-hmm. is the, the primary rule of the game is that we've got to maintain appearances. And uh, that is... That is what Renoir seems to be excoriating with the film. Yeah, there's he seems very infuriated, the lack of accountability for certain people in society. And again, yeah, as we said, this this is a film that really does make a case for uh, the long 20th century, right? The, the idea that centuries actually last for about 500 years. Because, uh, yeah, the same crap that, you know, The Hunt or Knives Out, like all of these themes that are in the rules of the game are in these more contemporary films that Arthur and I referenced earlier, and Parasite, like, they're all the same fucking movie. Like they're all trying to untangle the same stuff. Yeah. Uh, like Parasite's got the you know, kind of weird moments of rich people's sexuality. Like it's it's all all of these threads that are in this film like extend out for another century of filmmaking in a mm-hmm. way that I am just in love with. Uh, but in all in a way, it's really really troubling <laughs> and right. upsetting. Um, I, I do think part of the w- reason why the movies love those because of style. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the big theme, and I don't know if we have any more to say about the, the themes other than, you know, rich people are racist and rich people are classist, and, you know, they kind of suck. Um, yeah, I think the stylistically, as, as Arthur really kind of honed in, I think, Arthur, you did a good job of, like, articulating the... And, and Dustin as well, you kind of talked about things that Orson Welles would get to a couple, you know, a decade or so later. The, the craft of this film is not just, like, this the camera work it is this camera work inside of a very like stagey old school way of movie making and i think that juxtaposition is really cool 
uh, which is what made me think about Parasite. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it because of that kind of, not storybook, because that sounds too Wes Anderson, or um, yeah, Wes Anderson, um, but that very like puzzle box almost, or a, I don't know, maybe, a, well, a game night, right? Like a, a board game. Like there is a, a sequence of events that are polished to perfection and the aesthetics are completely in line with everything happening in the movie. Uh, it, again, it's it's not just that camera work we talked about. It really is the way the camera work and, and the set design kind of mesh together in an unexpected way that, again, nobody at the time probably thought anything of it, but now it's just, it really does kind of make it super fascinating to look at. Well, absolutely. Go ahead, Arthur. I was going to say, there's some, uh, I, I didn't get to watch all the features, but there's some several really cool special features on uh, the Criterion with this, and uh, there are a couple that were like scene analysis of, of certain sequences. Ooh. Uh, and there's one, it's just like a 30-second scene of... Uh, Robert and Andre uh, walking uh, just kind of through a parlor like they they come from the the back of the room and then across from the front um, and it, it, it it's a really cool breakdown uh, about three minutes just kind of highlighting what's so special about uh, not only just the the use of depth of field in that sequence where in the foreground we're having this kind of serious conversation between these two men and in the background I believe you see, uh, in the far background, you see Octave, and then just a little further up uh, in kind of that middle background, you see uh, Zet. Uh, and then as even as the the two mains walk off, uh, the way it's shot, it, it still allows Lizette to kind of become framed in, in the central image, making her kind of the focus of the shot, which is, you know, just a really interesting approach. And, and not only stylistically but thematically how it underscores uh, you know the themes of the film that on the surface there's this kind of serious overtone the, the conversation between Robert uh, and Andre is a little more serious but in the back there's this kind of nonsense going on between Lizette and Octave and, yeah. and it just kind of serves to underscore this kind of uh, I, I think he says like you know nothing is black and white it's all, always either a, or also and or, you know it's it's not thought of, there's nothing concrete or absolute about what Renoir is doing here mm-hmm. Uh, thematically or stylistically. Well, and then Remar himself has the lines, all the lines about moral relativism, right? Like he, all the Octave has all these lines about pe- the way people justify their behavior. Um, and, and it is interesting. Yeah. That, that everything is always trying to work on multiple levels. Can I yeah. tell you a funny contemporary example that that just made me, that scene analysis just made me think of uh, a lot of the visual bits in the show community where they'll be like, they'll use a depth of field and focus to have just like a, a goof, like the, the episode where Abed delivers a baby uh, in the background of the episode, like there's just like three scenes of him, like he's barely in the episode, but then in the background of a couple of scenes, he's got this whole other plot going on. That's yeah, and that's one of the great things. Like Arrested Development is another one where this yeah. happens, right? There's so much just kind of going on in the background that if you're not paying attention, you miss. But it rewards that rewatch, and I, I sure Rules of the Game does the same thing. You know, there's so much to catch going on. Oh Absolutely. yeah, as there's all great I, comedies do. There's a lot I know I didn't catch. Yeah, but yeah, um, there's tons of like really great visual gags. The, you said. Uh, the other really cool thing I, I loved and kind of took away from here was his use of the shot reverse shot. Mm. Uh, there's a sequence really early on, I think when uh, Christine and Octave are talking at the house before they go to the chateau and they sit on either end of that couch and the way he shoots it, there's so much space between them. It, it looks like they are worlds apart and it's just a really interesting way to do that. You know, shot reverse shot is typically a lot of close up type work over the shoulder and the way he shoots it here, he does it a couple of times. It, it provides a lot more depth and kind of a, 
absence in that that dead space between the two characters. And I think that's a really interesting approach to using it. Right, and those are the primary sort of uh, uh, techniques that Bazan and then later Truffaut that we talked about last week uh, champion as uh, ways to achieve realism is through the use of depth of field and through the use of the long take. Although, again, he'll use uh, sometimes a long scene rather than a long take. I mean, mm-hmm. that rabbit sh- scene is uh, really cut up. It's very much montage in many ways, but it's a long scene. And so it creates that sort of sense of duration, that realism in terms of time of uh, what goes on during that hunt. And then to uh, send up some earlier French styles, you know, I was thinking about the uh, the talent show, as you mentioned earlier. Yeah. And especially that little uh, skeleton dance scene, which is a callback to Amelier's film. And, yep. uh, sure. and, and the way in which uh, that particular... Uh, scene. I only it, know it being referenced in popular culture, of course, but I know what you're talking about. But, yeah, well, it, you know, it's a static camera frontality, you know, and all that kind of stuff that is the sort of uh, the techniques of that early cinema uh, that Melier is operating in and all that trick cinema and to use it as uh, the, the uh, sort of uh, uh, immature uh, entertainments of this class, right? And so he does make reference to another style that's not his own, but he uses it in such a way to show how infantile uh, these uh, these folks are. And so uh, it, it's smart, not just in the sense that he's got a style and he's got a way in which he likes to operate, but the way in which he is aware of it in counterpoint to other styles and is able to make commentary on that style by, you know, sort of, again, recreating uh, Amelier Tableau. People have been making movies for 40 years at this point. That's nuts. Yeah. That is bananas. That is some, like, real galaxy brain-ass stuff to do in your movie, even if, you know, you did also put yourself in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I hope 100 years from now people go back and watch Lady in, uh, Lady in the Water or whatever and have the same conversation, just like, this movie is great, but also Shyamalan's a clown. <laughs> yes. Which is, uh, I don't know, the interesting thing about Octave, right, is like him being this sad clown. I know there's some, uh, I think it's Figaro, Marriage of Figaro or whatever. There, there's some famous literary reference in this film. Like all the characters have one-to-one correspondences pretty much. And Octave's the only one that keeps his original character name. Mm. Uh, but it is weird to cast yourself as, let's say, the Chris Farley type, for lack of a better way, you know, like a more for a more contemporary example, to be this, this sad clown who is there. And again, as you said, like the ways comedies woven in this film are very intentional and to have like the most overtly comedic character end up being this tragic protagonist is really interesting and and again him and marceau like both being the people who for whatever reason and maybe it is because they're like uh either you know marceau's more working class and then you know uh, octave's like petite bourgeoisie but only because he has the right friends in the right places right these two guys who are kind of meeting in the middle and in terms of the class spectrum like have a very clear-eyed view of what's going on and, and the again the rules of the game because they can see the most parts of the game from their vantage points well i think octave's sort of refusal to play the game anymore I mean, that's what he's, he's opting out. I'm not playing this hey, he game. He got one of his buddies killed. Yeah, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is so stupid. Why did I do this? There are things that matter more, and it turns out in a few years there will be. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, again, most of these people probably got blowed up, mm-hmm. unfortunately. I, I, you know, even the rich people. I'll say that sucks. It's bad when wars happen. It's not yes. good. Uh I, I I don't actually think that uh, democracy needs to be watered with the blood of patriots. You know who said that? A dipshit who was basically a draft dodger and went in France while the fighting was happening. Yes. <sighs> it's weird how little politicians change. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're all they're all bluster and muskets until it's time to put some skin in the game, and then it's Article Twenty Five. 
Hey, if it's not broke, don't fix it. No. <laughs> Arthur basically twirled a mustache. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I feel like we've we've done as much work as we're going to do here today. Well, let's render a verdict then on the rules of the game. Um, what do we think of the rules? Go, um, Arthur. Man, this is a tough one. I, 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 is it, is it on the museum shelf? Light shelving, I think. Yeah. Je- I mean... Purely from, I think, a technical influential level. I mean, the the stylistic camera work being used here is used to this day by a, a bevy of of talented directors of this generation, and his you know Renoir's influence is just nonstop. And so, I I think for that alone, you've got to shelf this one. All right, what do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I I want to make a, all my friends watch this movie so we can make something like it. I just think it's fucking genius, man. I really do. But I will say, listeners, if you go to somebody's house uh, for a little date and you're wondering whether or not it should turn into a rules of the game type sleepover and they've got rules of the game on their shelf, go ahead and give it a couple more dates because that could go either way. You go to somebody's house and they got this one on the shelf, I, I'm look, I'm not going to vouch for that person. It could go either way. And that's what I'll say. Well, it's on my shelf. Uh, uh, already. Tracks. Well, that's what I'm saying. Go, be careful. Be careful. Um, and, <laughs> Tread lightly with this one. And really, it is because of museum stuff. Uh, it is totally. because I want to have it in physical media because I want to be able to use this movie to teach. But do yeah, I want to When the it? internet bombs gets bombed, you don't want rules of the game to get lost for a second time? Right. Yeah. And so I need my copy of it uh, for teaching purposes. But really, um, I don't care to ever see this movie. Ever. You know, it's fine. But yeah. So uh, shelf it because... You're into film studies, but that's about it. Sure. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts uh, regarding the rules of the game. Dalton, say the words about the social media. Yeah, if you What think... are the rules there? Oh, well, uh, the rules are don't incite a riot, uh, it turns out, but also they're never that clear. You can get banned for just about anything. Uh, I've been shadow banned for years for being too much of a genius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find uh, people who are just as much geniuses as me on Twitter, you can go to at good underscore trash. Uh, and that is where we post everything that is part of the Good Trash Media Network, even things that are just tangential. Uh, what what kind of stuff, you might ask? Well, obviously, episodes of this show, the Good Trash Honor Cast. You'll get uh, those links tweeted out to all the places it's available on on day and date. Uh, we also uh, make sure you got uh, news on when the new Praise Downs with Heath and Alex drop, or the Wheel of Randy with Dan Wade. Uh, or Twilight with Kirsten and Aaron, which, uh, fun announcement time, listener, uh, if you uh, like the show Twilight and you're listening to this right now, first of all, thank you, glad you're here. Second of all, uh, future episodes of Twilight soonish Question mark, I don't know what the date on that is exactly. Uh, they're going to have their own feed soon. Good for Ooh. them, I say. Yeah, so the old episodes will still be in our feed, uh, but pretty soon new ones are going to be, I'm sure the old ones will be in that new place as well. Uh, but uh, uh, pretty quickly, uh, Twilight will no longer be on this feed. So keep your eyes posted uh, to your to your iTuneses and your Spotifyses, uh, et cetera, because uh, it's a good show. And, you know, they're they're part of the fam, baby. Uh, you, and it's a good show. Did you guys? Have it you, is. I listened to uh, they did Midnight Sun recently. You know, the Twilight spinoff book. Really funny, man. Just a good episode. Uh, I, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said something to the effect of, this book makes me think the series is more interesting and also makes me like it less, which <laughs> I thought was really great. Uh, so anyway, if you like what we do, but you want it applied to a YA fiction, go check out Twilight. It's a good show. Uh, check out The Praise Down. It's very funny. I was on there recently. Um, they're getting ready to do lore again. I don't know if we've got any uh, Praise Down diehards listening right now, but every couple of years they decide to do some weird radio drama type stuff. But, uh, you know, they got to they gotta seed the show with very stupid gags that eventually pay off. So if you've been waiting to get into the Praise Down, they're creeping up on episode 100. Now's a good time. Speaking of them, 
If you want another good Twitter follow besides at good underscore trash, you can go to at the praise down on Twitter. Their pinned tweet is a link to join their Discord server. It's a very good and fun and supportive place to be. A uh, cool place to hang out. I like to hang out there. You should do that. Uh, our email address is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. If you've got some long-form feedback for us, uh, rate, review, subscribe, blah, 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 blah. You've been on the internet before. Last but certainly not least, our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash GTM, is where you can give us money if that's your deal. You don't have to. There's obviously more important places for your money to go, including just, you know, your own mouth. Uh, but, you know, if you got the the, the, the silver, uh, we're doing this thing over there called uh, Good Trash Archdiocese, where Dustin and I play uh, the tabletop game Monster of the Week with Arthur as our, our faithful game master. And, uh, yeah, we're telling a story. We're having fun. We're doing a riot over there uh, in fictional form. We started that riot like four months ago. Yeah. Um, it's kind of weird how, uh, how that panned out. I'm going to continue to do that storyline now. We're still starting a riot. So, yeah, in, in Media Ray, we, we'll are starting a, we, we have been starting a riot for four months. That's true. We did lose part of an episode, though, so we're going to have to replay some stuff. It's going to be interesting. Oh, right on. I forgot about I'm that. I'm very excited about this, Yeah, actually. we're going to talk. Gosh. All right. All right. So, listener, that's uh, patreon.com forward slash GTM. We'll also send you uh, you know movies every once in a while curated based on your taste. You can pick movies for the show, all kinds of stuff like that. That is the social media bullshit. Uh, we're doing. We're gonna finish this marathon, right? Your contract hasn't expired. Uh, I will do another French movie. Okay, Arthur. Uh, what, what do we got coming up? Uh, yes. Uh, so we are gonna continue to travel back in time. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Oh no. We're oh going god. Back. Oh shit. My entropy's been reversed. <laughs> oh god. I'm reverse bungee jumping. We're Great going Scott all there, the way. There's Robert Pattinson to 1928 uh, to take a look at one of the most uh, beloved and influential silent films of all time as we take a look at Carl T.H. Dreyer's La Passion de Jeanne d'Arc or The Passion of Joan of, Joan of Arc. I like it when ladies join the army and kind of start a cult. That's cool. It's a great movie. And, I'm uh, excited. I've never if you seen like it. Demi, you'll like this. That makes sense. Yeah. A lot of tight close-ups, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh-huh. Most of the movie. <laughs> Most of the movie. Sick. All right. I'm in. So there you go, dear listener. You keep watching. We'll keep talking in a silent movie, and we'll see you all next time.